Today we are in Titus. We are reading through the Bible in two years. We're going to be done in November, but we're in Titus 3 today. And I wanted to just read this chapter with you. It'll be on the screen if you don't have a, uh, a Bible with you. And then we'll, we'll talk about it. Um, this is Paul writing to a young pastor in Crete and giving him advice on how to lead the church. So unlike some of the other letters that we read in the Bible, uh, this is one of the ones that's, that's from Paul to one person, not to an entire church. So it's kind of an inside edge on what's going on in Crete and what Paul thinks is needful. Titus 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis to Tychus to you to do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I have decided to winter there, do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. faith. Grace be with you all. So a very powerful passage uh, from, from the Bible where Paul is giving some really pointed advice and kind of letting Titus know what to focus on. So here's a real, a real question that some Christians debate amongst themselves, talking about theological debates. People say, what is the point of doing good works when we are saved by the free gift of God's grace through Jesus' death on the cross? What's the point of doing good works if we're saved by grace? It's kind of a warped question, um, as if it was all about us, right? Um, what's the point? If we're not earning our salvation, why do we want to do good? That's the wrong question, because our life is not about only our personal salvation. If all we care about is that we are technically saved <laughs> through Jesus so that we go to heaven when we die someday, then we have severely lost our way and need to recalibrate. Very important. 
if we don't care about doing good in the world, it, it also might mean that we have not been sufficiently impacted by what God has done for us in his great love through Jesus Christ. And we might be in danger of even missing Jesus completely if we haven't already missed him. So we need to put some thought into this concept of good works this morning and leave reminded of what God wants us to do with our lives. We have all these years to live that God's given us. And I believe this word today can keep us uh, and save us from wasting our lives as we move move about in the world that God has made. But we just have to separate ourselves from this conversation about are we saved by works or are we saved by grace? We're saved by grace. And we're saved to do works of God and live productive lives for him. So it's a, it's a big, all-encompassing thing that God's called us to. I also don't think that it gives Christians a very good reputation in the world when they seem to be only about making a decision for salvation, not about doing good. Not that that characterizes all Christians, but it's just not a good face, and it doesn't match what Christ did in his life. So we need to kind of line up our lives. Um, Paul says that we have the potential as believers who are saved through God's grace to live unproductive lives. That just doesn't sound good to me. Does that sound good to anybody? doesn't sound good. Who wants that? I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but because of the way my mind works, I think about these things. Um, If all that mattered was Jesus shedding his blood in order to pay for our sins, then what was the point of him living for 33 years? Why didn't... King Herod, as he wanted to do in the Christmas story, just killed the baby Jesus and his blood would atone for our sins back then. Um, What was the point of Jesus' 33 years? Uh, What was the point of his teachings in the Bible on how to live and treat others and his interactions with religious leaders and sinners, people who were sick and needed healing, people that were demon-possessed? Why did he spend so much time training his disciples, feeding the 5,000, taking care of people's needs, if salvation was the only thing that mattered. It seems that Jesus had a lot of concern about what we do with our lives. There's so much more to this adventure that God's called us on to than simply being saved through Jesus. That is the foundation. Salvation comes through Jesus alone and looking to him. There's no other name by which we can be saved. That's the foundation. But I think this morning Paul would encourage us to move beyond those foundational things and think about the works God's calling us to. So Paul, Paul says to Titus in several places in this passage, in verse 1, remind the people of these things. So what he's about to say, important, remind the people of these things. He says in verse 8, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. And then in verse 14, at the end of our passage, he says something similar. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order that they may provide for daily necessities and not live unproductive lives. So, whatever follows in this list of focus on these things are things that Paul wants Titus to to transfer to his congregation. And because of this being a living word of God for us and preserved for us, not just to Titus, but to the church at large, this is a word for us too. This is a word that God's going to breathe on and give us some insight into and how we can apply it to our lives, which is really exciting. So Paul says, uh, first of all, this is a popular one, verse three, chapter 3, verse 1, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities to be obedient. How does that make you feel? Yeah, it's un-American, right? 
Um, we started this country with a revolution. <laughs> That's right. So uh, Paul starts out by saying something very that's really countercultural, not only in the world, but also in the church many times. He says to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. It's a revolutionary thing that Christians can do in the world uh, to transform our communities by being eager to honor and obey and submit to authority, even authority figures that may not be ideal. Um, this is truly, like I said, countercultural. Um, we're sh- and in, in, in submitting to authorities that God's placed over us, it's not God, God saying, I approve of everything that authority figure does. But he's saying, as you submit to them, you are submitting to me. It's a, it's a representation of what we're doing in our hearts. And one of the ways we can discredit the gospel is by having a lack of respect for authority in this world. You know, our job is to submit to th- authority from the top down, um, and to allow, uh, allow myself to come underneath that, uh, what God has placed above us. Now, one of the things that we tend to do when we hear something like that is we tend to go right to the exceptions. <laughs> that's just our tendency. So we say, you know, we, we, we're submissive unless they tell us to do something that's against our faith, right? or in, unless they do something that's um, abusive or something like that. And those, those exceptions are valid. Like, we do need to think about the exceptions to what that would look like uh, if, if authority was abusive and they were calling us to do things against what God's calling us to do in his kingdom, or if there's some kind of abuse or difficulties there in the home. We need to think about those exceptions, but we, we cannot miss the heart of the matter, which is, in general... Don't be trying to wiggle out from submitting to authority. Because as we submit to authority, we submit to God. Uh, that, that's what it looks like. And it's bad for our soul and bad for Christ's reputation when we refuse to have that submissive spirit. And you can have opinions. You can have thoughts about how things should be different. And that's good and civil. And I think the rest of this passage talks about how you could voice those things or talk about them in some ways. But fundamentally, do you have a heart that's in submission to the king? Um, rebellion, a re- rebellious spirit, just doesn't work very well for our soul in general. So we, we need to think about this. People always think about, go right to the president. That's what they think about, you know? Like, oh, that's what we think about right away. But there's authority all around us. You know, we have authority in our homes. We have authority in our church. We have authority in our country, in our state. There's all kinds of different levels of authority. And God says, in general, try to have a submissive spirit. Um, Husbands and wives, submit to one another. Have reverence for Christ. There's a mutuality there. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. Children, obey your parents. I say that to my kids all the time, right? The Bible says, obey me. (laughs) Very self-serving. I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek here, but, but honestly, these are things in our lives where we have right from the moment we wake up in the morning the opportunity to either rebel against the authority God has placed in our lives or to submit to that authority, you know? And as I, t- as I think to my kids, I wish they'd just obey me, guess what scrolls through my mind? A thousand ways in which I'm rebelling against the Lord in other areas where I'm not showing submission. Sometimes even in the way I parent, I'm not submitting to Christ and loving the way I should. So these are all 
matters where we all need great amounts of grace. But this is something that Paul says will be good for people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Uh, I love Jesus' example in general, but particularly in Matthew 17, um, someone, came to, someone came to Peter Peter's door, and Peter had been hanging out with Jesus, and the guy says, doesn't your master pay his taxes? And Peter's, Peter had not had this conversation with Christ before, and so he was like, uh, yeah, I think he does. He goes back in the house. That's how I picture it anyway. And Jesus, in his kind of funny way, in my opinion, funny way, uh, says, what do you think, Simon? <laughs> That's a question that God asks us when we ask him things. What do you think? Don't you know the answer? From whom do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? And we'd say, from others. <laughs> this is still true in our world. So from others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. But, so that we may not cause offense, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for, you, for my tax and yours. It looks like Jesus had some opinions about taxation in a way. You know, it's like saying, look, this is kind of how the world works with taxes. But we're not trying to cause offense. We're going to submit to the rulers and pay our taxes. And then he found the money in a fish's mouth, which is, didn't work for me this year. And I, I tried. I went fishing for a very long time. I said to Jackie, I need to fish. I just need you to take care of the kids in the house for a couple of weeks. I'm going to go fish, try to get the tax money we need. You know, I thought the Bible was supposed to be true, you know? No. That's, um, it was a miracle, but Jesus was making a point. He had something to say about the system, but he had a submissive spirit. He didn't want to cause offense. There was no point in rebelling. Jesus had a submissive spirit all the way to the cross. And Jesus' spirit was so submissive to other rulers and authorities because it was fully submitted to the will of the Father. And that's really the foundational question. We can see kind of evidence of our lack of submission in the way that we think about and treat people that are in authority over us. Um, we see evidence that maybe our hearts aren't right where they need to be with God the Father. And Jesus was submissive to the Father to the point of death on the cross for our sins. So you can have opinions and still have a submissive spirit. It's something you can do, and it's good for your soul. So verse, uh, verse 2, uh, the next bit of advice that Paul gives to Titus is that people should be ready to do whatever is good. That's pretty, like, general, you know? Be ready to do whatever is good. Serve your community. The original uh, language implies this idea of being poised at all times to serve other people. Like, you're, you're ready to go. You've thought about it. You want to make things in such a way in your life that you're able to do it. You're on the edge of your seat waiting to hear about needs other people might have so you can serve them. That's kind of the idea this scripture has. Being prepared to be good, to do good. Planning uh, to do good. It's meant to be reflexive, like when the doctor hits your knee and your leg goes up, that when you hear of a need, that you, your, your reflex action is to do good. And Paul says this is a great thing to instill in your people, that they should always be ready to do good. And the early church was known and respected by the world in which it was inhabited because they were known to be a people that did this. They took care of each other, uh, took care of the needs of the ministry that Paul was doing in the church. Like, they were known for this 
amazing quality. They were ready to do what was good um, financially and otherwise. So like a, like a reflex, you see a need here, you see a need there, and as a follower of Christ, you're looking to do, to apply goodness to whatever the situation, whatever the opportunity. And you can have this posture as an individual. You can have this posture as a family. I love stories of families that, you know, they, they say that faith is caught, not taught. That's definitely true. If you're a family that is poised to do good at every opportunity in Jesus' name, that will teach your kids to be a follower of Christ. That's going to be something that they take with them. And that's something that the world can see Jesus through. When we're ready to do what is good. Um, you can have this posture as an individual, as a family. And you can have this posture as a church body. You can be known as a church that does benevolent help for people in the community. I love that letter that Bonnie read from, the, from that, that person that received help. That's such a beautiful thing that that person has in mind. When they fall on future hard times, there is someone who's praying for them, someone who cares for them. And there's so many people that are just touched because Christians are being good when they see needs. Um, it's such an inexpressible joy to me when I see this attitude at New Life Fellowship in the church, uh, not just towards my family, but towards the body of Christ. It's an amazing thing. When I see people serving at events like Love Saratoga, which is an event which is in intends to show our church poised to bless our community. That's what that event's all, event's all about. When I hear about people helping one another with financial troubles in the church or with... Uh, a repair job or something that someone just says, you know, I don't, I don't have the money, but I can help repair that job. When I hear about the church's benevolent money paying for rent or for a uh, car bill, and when people faithfully give to support the church budget here, that stuff gets me excited. Not just because I'm the pastor here, but because I can see that people are poised to give and support. And that's something that we all have to continue to be ready to do, to plan to be poised to, uh, to serve wherever the need might be. And it's very freeing, too. If, you've, if you're someone who's personally taken this posture, it's, it's such an inexpressible joy for the giver as much as it is for the one that receives it. That's the truth. It's such a joy. A very memorable season from my small group a few years ago, we decided to find out what needs were in our community, and we heard from Shelters of Saratoga they needed us to repaint the porch and the the hot box where they heat, they heat up the clothing to kill the whatever kind of vermin might be in there. And we, our group went out there and we painted and, and did all that. Uh, we did a food drive for Franklin Community Center one time, just heard about a need and did a food drive. Uh, prayer walks, like that. That was a neat season that I really enjoyed. But what an amazing thing if our church was made up of people, families, and small groups that were poised to meet the needs, not just of the body, but of the community that we live in. And what, what an amazing way to... Give Jesus the reputation he deserves. I mean, we are his representation on this earth. When people see us, they, they, they make a correlation, and then rightly so. We're the body of Christ. When people see that kind of thing, uh, they get to know uh, who Jesus is and what his posture is. So do it individually in your family, in your church community, and in the city. Be poised to do good. Plan to do good. Set aside money to do good. These are good things to do. So verse 2, it says further from... Paul to Timothy, that they are instructed to slander no one. Instructed to slander no one. This is very countercultural, this, this, this point. Um, if you live this out, this could be the great gift that the church has for our culture, uh, to not slander anybody. 
Paul reminds Titus to remind his people, to remind us, guard your tongue, slander no one. And the Greek is no one. (laughs) Don't slander. I know for sure this is what it's saying. Because it's explicitly stated in Ephesians 4.29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that may benefit those who listen. How brutal has our world become with the slander that's out there? It's brutal. And it's, it seems to have gotten worse. I know every generation says that, but in the last 10 years, it seems to have gotten worse in the, in the climate that we live in. But everywhere from, from in-person to Facebook to, you know, news outlets, it's all just crazy. Everyone in our culture is guilty before God for this sin. It's a terrible, terrible thing. And I am already dreading the next election cycle because of what it has been like to live through the last several years of upheaval, uh, both on television and, like I said, on social media and in person. The principle is our words are powerful. So guard your tongue. And the, if Paul was, was around today, he would write, guard your Facebook posts. If you're an old-timer, if you're an old-timer, and if you're a youngin', you know, guard your Instagram. Because Facebook is for old people now. Or your Twitter. But there is no, there is no, or your Snapchat. <laughs> there is no real limit on the ways in which we communicate. And you know, it, it is very important what you put on Facebook and social media. And if you choose to think the best of people and speak positive words of blessing or to join with the crowd and tearing people down, that's your decision, but this applies. This applies. My, uh, my friend who's a pastor says, tells his church every week, by the way, I'm watching your social media. Have a good week. Like I tell you, that's how he ends services. But it is not usually very good for the reputation of Christ when Christians are known to be slanderous just like the world is. And I don't care what anyone's opinion is on anything. Um, it's, it never goes well. It's, it's, it's a curse. Um, so understand, think, and reflect before you speak or post something about someone or some organization on social media. You know, like, what was, it, was it Thumper that said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. That's in the Bible, right? That's pretty much what the Bible says. Before you say anything, consider that God's commanded us not to slander other people. Okay? And that's a, of a healthy border for our lives. From the microcosm of our family, when, when spouses are talking about each other in front of their children, that's a big problem. To your workplace, where people talk, to, talk about each other with each other and triangulate and never are direct with each other. You know, to your church, to your gym, to your politics, to your family. Talking about siblings, with your parents and them not knowing about it and saying bad things. We, we got to do better. This is not loving. And this is not what God's called us to. From, from that small microcosm all the way up to the, to the biggest thing you can imagine, it's a really good bit of advice to not slander people. Very good. The fourth thing he has here is, Paul instructs Tim, Titus to tell his people to be peaceable and considerate. This is another gift that we could give our culture as Christians countercultural, being peaceable and considerate. It literally means, in the original language, to be a non-fighter, a non-brawler, refusing to fight and be quarrelsome, refusing to be belligerent and unwavering in proud opinions. 
being considerate of other people, their thoughts, views, and choices. This is a reflection also of Jesus' attitude. It says in 1 Peter 2 that when they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to God who judges justly. So just like with submitting to authority, we might not agree with everything, but we trust God. We trust God and what he's going to do. And God wants us to often be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Quick to listen. I think that God would say to, to, to us many times, maybe even multiple times in a day, just shut your mouth and listen. I'm glad my son isn't in here because he'd probably repeat, shut your mouth all day. if I. He just picks up on all the worst stuff I say. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. God wants us to close our mouth when we're listening to people and just take this moment to understand not only might that person not be a believer so they don't even share your worldview or have the Holy Spirit, um, but where they're coming from and what they're saying makes sense to them and they have a reason for it. They have experiences and all kinds of things they've been through. You don't know what those things are. And so in a, in a spirit of love and charity, thinking the best of people, not reacting to people harshly, especially people that aren't from the family of God, and just close our mouth and soften our heart. I think that's what God's asking us to do. Um, and this is a way that Christians can, get, can really help our culture because this culture is not like that at all. Um, we feel the need to defend God or defend this or defend that. Um, but God can defend himself. You know, people need to be listened to. People need to be understood. And only when you really are in relationship with someone, you listen to them, you understand them, you know, can you really have anything good to say anyway? You know? People are coming from a lot of different places. And so be considerate of, of, where the, of, of who they might be and what they might have been through. That's all. Jesus was a master of this. He talked to everybody. And he had some hard things to say to some people. But he always made people feel dignity and respect. He let people choose to follow him or choose to walk away. Um, he was a remarkably, someone that anyone could talk to, from Roman soldiers to women caught in adultery to, uh, to people that were demon-possessed to people that needed healing. Uh, Jesus had a way of instilling dignity and lifting people up in the way he interacted with them. That's like a, you know, like a high-level ability to be peaceable and considerate. And he was able to speak into into different situations because of the way he was. That brings us into to the fifth thing in this passage. It says, to always, always be gentle towards everyone. Easy, right? It also could be translated humble. Humble towards everybody. So humbling ourselves, actually thinking, as Philippians 2 says, that other people are better than yourself. Consider other people better than yourself when you're talking to them. It's a really great practice. Um, humble yourself before someone who has the opposite ideas of how the world works to you. Humble yourself before people uh, who have different politics from you. Humble yourself before people who have different practices and lifestyle than you. Even if you have strong disagreements among moral issues or different things, to humble yourself and lift that person up, give them dignity, consider them better than yourself, because people 
can sniff it when you are condescending to them and judging them. They can. I mean, my generation and the generation after me can smell this stuff. If someone's disingenuous, if someone doesn't really care, doesn't really want to be a friend, is just trying to work somebody, they can smell it. So when we follow Jesus, we, we interact the way that Jesus did. And he honored people and respected people from high-ranking officials to the lowest in society. He lifted everybody up. And he, he did not... He was God and he didn't give them a holier-than-thou attitude, okay? <laughs> he was holier-than-thou. <laughs> Much more holier-than-thou than we could ever be. If anyone had an had a opportunity and a right to be judgmental and throw the stone, it was Jesus Christ, the Son of Man. But this whole, this whole mob drags a woman caught in adultery. Oh, you know, the law says we're supposed to stone her. And Jesus says, let the person without sin cast the first stone. Everybody left. And, uh, and, and Jesus said, where are your accusers? And she goes, they're, they're gone, Lord. And he goes, well, neither do I condemn you. Go leave your life of sin. Talk about a radical personality. Jesus Christ. Radical. He did not give people a holier-than-thou attitude, and so we probably shouldn't either. He had the right to throw a stone. Didn't throw the stone. It's not in his nature. In verse 3, Paul goes into a, a reminder as to why we should hold these countercultural attitudes and values of Christ. He says we should be humble in the aforementioned ways because at one time, in verse 3, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all the kinds of passions and pleasures. It's like, remember, the very things you're trying to judge, you were those things a very short while ago. So we should always remember that the people that we have the hardest time with are often just us from a couple years ago. We just don't like our old self. We've tried to grow out of being that person. And, uh, <laughs> and everyone's on a journey, so we need to remain humble because probably your, yourself from two years ago wouldn't like yourself now, you know? So if you've moved on and you've grown and you've done, put these things behind you, just remember where you came from, that you were once that person. And that's a, that's a basis for being humble in relationship. In verse 4, this is the heart of the gospel message. When the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And this term for love is the brotherly love. It means a person's benevolent and virtuous interest in other people. Because of God's loving, benevolent, and virtuous interest in humanity, he saved us by his kindness. Um, not because of our acts of righteousness, not, nothing we had done, because of his great mercy. That is really cool. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us, generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everybody. There was this intervention in our lives, and we have to share good works with other people because God did the ultimate good work for us. It's always a gifted response to what God did. Jesus saved us. His kindness and love uh, led him to do that. He doesn't love us any less when we are good, or any more when we're good, or any less when we're bad. 
God loves us and gives salvation to us as a gift, a free gift. And doing good things does not save us. We're saved through the gift of God, through Jesus Christ. Through the washing, it says, of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit within us. So we become justified through Jesus Christ, the Bible says, that we are declared righteous and holy through what God has done because of his kindness, not by our works. But we must share the good news and good works because of what God has done. It all comes out of what God's done in our lives. He, he freely, graciously, lovingly forgave us, not based on what we've done, but based on his mercy and grace, which we've received through faith. So that's why we're able to walk around with these attitudes, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, because Jesus submitted to the will of the Father on the cross, um, and, and he calls us to submit to the authorities in our lives as well. Not just thinking about exceptions, but thinking, how can I submit and show honor here? So at home, in church, in our city, state, and world, you know, do you have this attitude is the question. You know, do you seek to obey legitimate authority and in so doing, make their leadership a joy and make Jesus' name synonymous with blessing? Are you ready to do whatever is good? Uh, what are specific ways that you have expressed this poised um, sense of just waiting to do something that's good in your life? Is God calling you to do good in some specific area as you're hearing this sermon? In our home, in our church, in our larger community, this is very important that we become a person who's poised to do good, who plans to do good. To slander no one, do you treat people with contempt? Do you ever spread rumors about someone feeling it's acceptable because it's true, in your opinion? Jesus' word to us is clear. Guard your tongue, slander no one, slander no one, and watch your social media feed. It's in the Bible. <laughs> don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth in fact do the opposite say what's helpful for building other people up according to their needs so that it's beneficial because of the gospel we can be peaceful and considerate now would your friends consider you to be a peaceful person a peacemaker why or why not are you a fighter right away all of these considerations either show the world that Jesus, how awesome Jesus is and who he is, or turns them away with a bad taste in their mouth. And finally, do you show true humility towards everybody? Would the people closest to you consider you to be a gentle and humble person? Do you humble yourself before someone who is politically, personally, their choices in life, totally opposite from you and rubs you the wrong way? Do you humble yourself before that person to show them the love of God? because people pick up that holier-than-thou attitude every time. We can't do this alone. We're saved by grace through faith. We are washed by the Holy Spirit through a rebirth in Christ. We have the spirit of the one who did this perfectly living inside of us, Jesus Christ's spirit for all who believe. So we can't do it alone. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to follow these things, and we need the community of faith to hold us accountable to live these things out, and to call each other out, and to, to grow into a Christ-likeness so that the world can know that God sent Jesus and that God really is good and God really does love uh, with his great, benevolent, virtuous interest in all of our lives. Jesus wants all of us to be reflecting the character 
of Jesus Christ, which is represented in these first few verses. That's why there's so many examples I could draw from Christ's life just to fit what Paul is saying. He wants us to be like Jesus. He wants us to do good in this world in response to his great gift. He wants us to submit to him so that the world can know that he sent Jesus. This is the best. This is your best life now. (laughs) Your best life now comes with Submitting your will to to God the Father through Jesus Christ. Your best life now. And the best picture of who Jesus is for the world. So let's pray. Um, Stand with me if you can. So I don't feel so alone standing. Heavenly Father, I pray for your people. I thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit and the rebirth and the washing through Jesus Christ. I thank you that you've given us this community both people that are here right now and people that are just not with us today. Um, We thank you for this community. We pray that you would give us a submissive spirit to you foundationally. That we would humble ourselves and express the attributes of your loving kindness to a world that desperately needs to know just the great length that you went to to show that love. So fill us, God, with your hope Give us your wisdom. Help us to follow Jesus. I pray your blessing on your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dispersed. Go and be the church.